Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Court with UC Elite. I'm your host, Coach Stacy, along with Coach Matt. And today we got um, our very own Coach Conan True. Uh, he's one of our national coaches. He's born and raised in Fremont, and he's a Moreau Catholic and Holy Names alumni. Uh, and he's also one of our, our top coaches at UC Elite. Conan, welcome to the, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of this. Uh, I love the past two episodes already. Gave them a several listens and you know i'm happy to be here to share my story and my journey and everything through volleyball awesome awesome so <clears throat> you know first off we're going to just let conan talk about his background um and his journey because he did play a lot of years of volleyball um high school and at the collegiate level um so conan go ahead we'll, we'll start you off yeah so i had a very similar journey as a lot of kids had uh, i started playing cyo that was my first entry into volleyball Funny story, I didn't want to play volleyball. I was a basketball player, <laughs> and my best friend on my basketball team after the season just kind of begged me to play volleyball because his dad was the coach at Holy Spirit. Mm. And so I did it just to, you know, hang out with my friend more at the start. But the two coaches that we had there, uh, his dad, Anthony Huang and Ricky Santos, mm -hmm. they really made me fall in love with volleyball and starting to really just be passionate about it. All the practices were always fun and just seeing you know, like Ricky having fun playing against us and things like that. It was really, really inspiring. And then, you know, going on into high school, that's what I started to focus more on volleyball than basketball, right? And so, I mean, yeah, so started playing when I was 10 years old. Been playing now for 17 years. I still play actively now. And going into my high school tryout, it was a weird experience because we had just finished our freshman basketball season I had a bunch of friends on the team who were also trying out for volleyball and so we walked in together and as we started walking towards the JV tryout court the varsity coach uh, Leah Manalo at the time grabbed me and said no you have to try out for varsity and so right <laughs> from then I kind of knew I was going to have a different experience than a lot of kids who don't get that opportunity and just I mean a little more background I knew Leah from my time at Endline, she was a coach there and she did some camps and that's when I met her when I was 12 years old and she told me if you're coming to Moreau you're gonna play on the varsity team when you're a freshman. Oh, so you played club in middle school? Yeah, okay. I, I started playing in seventh grade and that's when, uh, that's when the passion really started to grow because after that club season uh, my best friend's dad took me and uh, my friend to see a Stanford men's game and that's where everything really grew, where I was like, look at how these guys hit the ball, look at how they're serving, and the blocks were really what was exciting to me. And mm -hmm. it made me fall in love with the sport to see it played that way. And then all I wanted to do after that was do all of those things that those guys were doing. Yeah, I know back then Stafford was good too, right? Yeah, they were really good, they were huge. And yeah, it was just mesmerizing, and so Trying out for uh, varsity as a freshman, it was very nerve-wracking, I'll tell you that. I was very, very nervous, but because, you know, first of all, nobody even knew who I was. They were like, what, what is this little scrawny kid doing here on our court? But it was one drill that gave me all the confidence. It was a hitting drill. You know, I was an outside hitter most of my career, so it was a hitting drill, and all Leo was doing was putting a chair in different spots on the court, and 
I just saw everybody kind of struggling to hit the chair, but everywhere she put it, I was able to hit it. First try, didn't matter, it was really easy to me. And that's when I started to really think, oh, I'm pretty good at this, right? And so that's when, I mean, going into the varsity season, uh, I was not a starter because I came off, I was DS'd in the back row, but I would go in for a senior, a senior outside hitter and just play his front row. And so that was my role, and all I would do is hit the ball. And I was like, this is pretty, pretty easy. So I was set up for success in that way where she was just uh, putting me in the best situation possible. And so that's how my careers kind of started. And from then on, I was like, well, if I'm going to be good at this, I have to like put everything I have into it. I was never told to like get extra practices, but I was always asking Leia for gym time. I was one of the kids who, when she asked for Saturday practices, I was there every morning. And it's just something that I knew I wanted to be great at this craft, so I had to master it. And in order to master something, you have to get like thousands and thousands of reps. I always think of a Ray Allen quote where he said, you gotta get at least a thousand shots up every day. And I thought the same way with volleyball, whether it was get thousand serves, get a thousand hits, thousand passes, just trying to get as many reps as I could every day. And so I guess you could call me kind of a gym rat because I was just, you couldn't take the gym away from me. If the gym was open, I was in there and I was so, playing. So Connie, like you also played basketball, right? At yeah, I, I'm, I'm a dual sport athlete. I played basketball my whole life. I, ever since I could pick up a ball at like five years old, I was bouncing it playing. And so, yeah, I was playing year round whether it was basketball or volleyball, there was never a time where I was just sitting around doing nothing. So, like, um, did you play varsity? Like, yeah. So I went basketball too. More, more standard. I went. I was on a freshman team for okay. basketball, okay. and then I played JV my sophomore year. At the end of that, I got pulled up to varsity. So only like the end of playoffs, I played with them when they were making a run for e NCS for basketball and me and my two friends uh, got pulled up from JV and it was a fun experience for sure. You know, those practices, again, it's such a shell shock at the jump from junior varsity to varsity and not a lot of people are ready for that jump, right? Like I had to completely change my role. In terms of basketball, I was like our center for JV and then when I was playing on varsity, I was like a point guard. And like a you know yeah. a small forward maybe <coughs> so, size difference yeah, yeah but it wasn't something I was unfamiliar with because I had been a point guard up through middle school and everything so it was a you know a size thing right because I wasn't the biggest player on the team anymore I was one of the smallest and it's the same kind of thing for volleyball you know I'm a pretty tall guy but you know about six two but I'm still undersized when it comes to my position in volleyball, yeah. especially when you get to the college stages, right? Because a lot of my high school career, I think I really started to take off my sophomore year. I was already named second team all league outside hitter in my second year, so it was my second year playing varsity. And, I, and that's the moment when I was 16 years old, I think it was after that season, we were doing our team banquet and stuff. and. That's when Leia asked me, she was like, do you want to like play in college? Because, and then that's when she gave me the confidence where she was like, you can if you want to, but you have to want to do it. Like, I'm not gonna be somebody who's gonna tell you like, 
oh, you can do it. And then you just kind of go through the motions. But it was at that banquet where I was like, you know, what? I do want to do this. And then so we laid out a plan for my junior year on what I had to do. I had to play more club and I had to be on a competitive club team. I had to get film of me during my high school season. And it was really, really good because my, that high school season, the following junior year, I got first team all league uh, outside hitter and it was a unanimous uh, vote. So every coach in the league thought that I was the best. And so that was, again, another thing that fueled my confidence where I was like, oh, I can really do this and I'm gonna really uh, go out there. So when I made the video, it was just first team all league outside hitter, Conan True on YouTube. You can probably still find it if, you, mm -hmm. if yeah. you're curious and look at the plays I was making as a high school junior. And that was probably one of my favorite years of high school, like by far, you know, with my teammates, there was some great camaraderie there. Um, I was familiar with Leia now at that point. Uh, she had been coaching me for three years. And so, you know, it was a fun time. And, you know, when you get to be the coach's favorite, people forget, like, like what I was saying earlier, I was practicing every day. So it was hard to not be a coach's favorite. So how did you uh, <clears throat> balance, like, basketball and volleyball? Because they're, like, back-to-back -back seasons. I would say, right? Like yeah, well, I'll tell you, my basketball coach, Coach Knight, was not a fan of volleyball, right? Because he seemed... And he's still the coach today. Yeah, right? he's still <laughs> coaching today. But he was not a fan of it because uh, in club one year, I had broken my finger on a block. This, this guy really just slammed the ball straight into my pinky. Yeah. And it broke. I still played. It was a different time back then. I, I put a splint on and I just kept playing. Damn. But it was broken. You don't for see sure. that anymore. Yeah, not Savage. at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I just kept playing because I was like, oh, it's just my left pinky. It's whatever. I'm, I'm right-handed. I can still do things. If that was today, you'd be out for like... Yeah, exactly. Days. You wouldn't be allowed to be put on the court. But yeah, yeah I just remember we got plastic we broke a plastic knife and we just used sports tape and taped my pinky to my oh ring my finger during the game? yeah during the game we called a timeout wow and then she was like you're good to go right like let me know if it's bothering you and i was like it doesn't really feel like anything but at the end of the day when i took that splint off it was like my pinky was like the size of my thumb <laughs> and like completely black and bruised and, and then that's when they were like oh maybe it wasn't just a jam finger <laughs> Damn, but yeah so it was like that but so and then when i came to basketball because you know club season for uh boys is the same as, yeah. as basketball season so when i got to our basketball practice the coach was like what the hell like what is this because mm -hmm. i was telling you guys i was like our best center on that team they were like you're gonna ruin our whole season and things like that and i was just like well what could i do you know it was just an injury and it happened yeah. and then so going moving forward with that whole thing whenever i tell coach knight i was playing club he was very against it and that's when i ended up quitting basketball my senior year because of that because it was oh, just wow. gonna he said like playing time would be very sparse you know you would i would have to show up to everything and i was like well I got three practices a week. At that time, I had decided to go play club volleyball at Slancha, so that's over in San Francisco. So after school and stuff, me and all, all the other MDAL kids on the team would just get on BART and go to the city and just kind of hang out there from like five, five in the evening until like the last BART train at 945. Wow. 
So you like double down on volleyball. Yeah, exactly. Once once I realized that where I was like, you know what? I have no chance to play basketball in college. And that was like I had told you guys, I was I had it set my so- after my sophomore season. I wanted to play a college volleyball. And so everything after that just had to be geared towards that. And yeah, so I doubled down and we were doing four hour practices basically over in San Francisco because after our club practice, uh, the nine man team that uh, would come and practice and we would just kind of play around with them over at Sacred Heart Cathedral, <laughs> at Sacred oh, Heart High School. Home? We would get home 1030 because wow. we literally the last bar ride the next day. and we got school the next and day. And your homework too. And you got yeah. homework to do. Yeah, wow. but I was a good student. I did my homework in class. You know, oh, nice. I did, <laughs> I did good, my homework. I did my homework right when it was assigned. Uh, Moreau does a really good job of giving you a syllabus, so I always knew what I had to do ahead of time. And it was just about getting it done because uh, my mom was a really big factor in telling me, like, you're a student first and then you're an athlete. You can't be an athlete if you're not a student, right? Like, you can't just go on. You don't get to become a professional uh, player And when you're in high school and college. You know, you had to be a student in order to, you know, perform and participate in sports. So that was really hammered home to me. Um, Throughout high school, I was, you know, Laude stuff. I was above 3.5, so it was hard. I'll so, but time management. Yes, time it management teaches you a thing. lot of time management, but that's exactly what it came down to. Instead of putting off homework and putting off projects, I was doing it as soon as it was assigned, right? And so I had I spent a lot of time at school, in the library, just doing homework until my practice, whether it was basketball practice or whether it was volleyball practice. I would just stay there and do it because I knew right when I got home, I was just going to sleep. You know, Conan, right there what you just said, I think coaches, we have talked about this before because, you know, especially more often today, we get that that excuse of I have to miss practice, I have to come late to practice, I have to, you know, something because of schoolwork, you know. And for Conan to be a, a two-sport athlete that overlaps – and he he had to travel at least how long is Bart to SF? Probably like an hour or more. Yeah. yeah. And to get home, you know, like the, you said, four hour practice, three times a week, mm-hmm. and that you were still a great student. You slept like. Yeah. Sounds like you did everything the right way, and like mm-hmm. I think our li- you know the players today li- listening like, you know that that's that's kind of the yeah. example. That's why coaches today. We you know it's tough sometimes when we get those excuses like. I think it's different if you got like I guess a big project or like you're struggling mm-hmm. in a class, but it comes down to time management. And like Conan said, his mom put that in him that like you're a student first, but it's not an excuse. Like I don't think you missed practice before, did you? No, like, I never. In all my years playing club, I never missed a club practice. I would have see, to have wow. been dying on the bed sick for me not to go. That's that's and that's just again amazing. another thing my my mom gave me was I'm paying. X amount for mm-hmm. you to play this sport. Wow. You can't not go. And it's probably a fraction to, to club now. But mm-hmm. oh, today, yeah. I don't yes. know. I think everybody misses practice. The kids today miss so much practice. Like, yeah. Like I've never seen before. And yeah, I just, I think that's your pure example of like, yeah. And student and athlete. And I was just manager. extremely motivated. You know, after that sophomore season, I was extremely motivated that this is what I wanted to do. And it was set up to where, yes, I wanted to practice all the time, every day of the week, no matter what. 
but I had to get all my schoolwork done. And so that was the hard part was getting the schoolwork done. The mm-hmm. easy part was showing up to practice. Right. And so I just when I was weighing the two, then I was putting way more effort in school when I was in club season or way more effort into school when it was like high school volleyball season, because I knew uh, I knew what was at stake. I could have not played if I didn't have GPA. And there is no way I was going to let that hold me back from, you know, my dream to go play in college. That's kind of exactly what high school sports is supposed to do. It's supposed to help those kids stay on track, mm-hmm. stay out of trouble, motivate you to do your homework, because obviously if you want to play, you need the grades. Yeah. You know, man, you really, uh, I think if I was coaching you, Conan, you're like the perfect player right there. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, we did, we did talk about, I, I was always trying to pursue practices, and I remember, I mean, I linked up with a lot of Logan kids for playing club. The first one that we did was Club Kazi, created by the Moreau coach. Um, for me to play like she only created it because she was like Kona wants to play in college we need a club team and then <laughs> she made it and so Leia was a really huge part of a lot of my success and she you know sacrificed a lot you know she wasn't a full-time coach she was that was her part-time job and she put a lot forward and a lot invested into me you know and so I, I appreciate her all the time and I remember how happy she was when I told her that hey I got signed to holy names university you know and she was ecstatic nice i think you know i think um having a coach like that that really uh encouraged you and helped you and also you didn't take take it for granted you know like all her help you you made the most of it you're you know like you said you're grateful right now Mm -hmm. you're acknowledging her and i think that's that's awesome i think you know having a coach like that could really take you to the next level and get you to where you want to yeah. be, you know? Exactly. I mean, yeah, because our, our Moreau teams, it was always, you know, I started becoming the best player in that sophomore year where I became our go-to hitter. I was kill leader almost every year for our, that team. I have a crazy amount of kills over at Moreau Catholic because, you know, four years varsity, I was almost starting by the end of my freshman year. You know, so I have tons and tons of stats there, and a lot of it goes, you know, credit to the coach mm-hmm. and empowering me. And she would let me make mistakes, but then she knew the next time I got a swing, it would probably be a kill. You know, so lots of trust built there, and it just helped me moving forward, knowing what, uh, you know, what I was capable of. Yeah, uh, for some other context, like I was coaching at the time yes. at Logan. So I was coaching the Logan boys back then. And I remember Conan, I mean, I didn't really know you, obviously, but, like, I just remember we were playing, whenever we played Morel, you know, because we always do a game plan with the strategy, (laughs) and we're like, okay, they got one guy, right? (laughs) Block that guy. I think you're either playing middle, sometimes outside, right side, whatever, right? Yeah, well, it was a gimmick because I would just hit everywhere. I would be outside, but I would hit, I would hit slides, I would hit twos, I would hit ones, I'd hit threes, I was moving all over the court just to, because I was our, our best hitter, so I had to move around. That's what yeah, Leia, Leia taught me. I had to move around because if I stayed in one spot, it's too easy. And I was a high schooler who, when we'd go to tournaments and stuff, I would get triple blocked by teams that we wouldn't even see because they would just recognize very early on in the game, this dude gets all the kills. Yeah, I mean, Let's they gave just you the, the ball. Block him, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah for it, sure. You were the game plan. You know? Yeah, stop, and it was a funny guy. story. My my assistant coach, uh, Will, he said he would have to purposefully put my name and our stats next to a bench player because my attempts would always overflow. And he was like, I always needed more room to like keep your stats going in. Yeah, and yeah. it just really goes to, I was seeing almost every single set after everything, whether it was serve receive, you know, defense. I just got set after every time we got the ball in the air. So how do you feel like you, you've handled that over the years being obviously played a lot? Mm-hmm. A lot of repetitions, a lot of uh, swings on your arm. Yeah. How do you feel like you and being the face of your team, yeah. having, to, having to be a, the, a you know a focal point to your team? Like, how did you balance that? Like, was there pressure? Did you feel oh anything my like gosh. that? Yeah, so much pressure. So honestly, I don't think I handled it the best way that I could. You know, I wish I could look back and say, oh yeah, it was not stressful at all. It was extremely stressful. I felt the weight of the team and every time we lost, whether it was in, we got swept, you know, playing against Logan, we got swept almost every time we played them. Or if we were playing, you know, like Washington and going to five, every single loss, I felt like it was all on me, right? But now when I look back, I can tell it wasn't just my fault, you know, I was doing my part, you know, getting 15, 20 kills, ridiculous numbers like that. Like I was doing everything I could to help us win. I just needed a better supporting cast. And so that's what my senior year of club, that's what Leah told me. She was like, you have to play with better people. And that's why I moved away from the club that she created again for us to play. Um, And I moved away and played Slancha with a bunch of the other MVAL kids who are getting like first team all league libero. You know, we had that, we had uh, Gabe Astorga who was the first team all league libero, he was our setter over at Slancha. Ryan Nicanor, who was another, you know, big outside hitter at Logan our same year, I joined up with him and we went to go play Slancha. Um, Andy on my team, uh, libero, uh, I think that was, he was a sophomore, so I think it was his second, he was second league all, you know, underneath Gabe, second team all league libero. And so I just had to, go with all these guys around the MVAL league and go play on a team somewhere. And, you know, again, it was just something that had to get done. And then it was just such a huge jump. Kazi, we were always bronze. You know, we might be in the competition to win bronze, but half the time we would drop and we'd be in flights and stuff. And then I joined this team with Slange in my 18s year and we're just gold all the time. We're gold. We're bouncing between gold and silver. Whenever we go down to silver, we just whoop everybody, and then we're back, right back into gold. And so it was just such a shift to me where I was like, oh, it wasn't my fault that we kept losing at Moreau. It was, you know, because I'm playing with these other guys, and we're winning, <laughs> right? And so that, that became a big thing, and that's a really good segue into when you start playing college. You are playing with every club team's best player, and that's just how college teams get built. And so I went to go play at Holy Names University. Uh, the way I was recruited was different because I was talking to a lot of schools, uh, like UC Santa Cruz and things like that, and they were telling me, oh, yeah, you could join the team, but you'll probably just be practice, you know? And so in my mind with my career and things, you know, I was carrying a team and stuff. I didn't want to just be a practice player. And so when coaches kind of knocked me, 
it kind of put a chip on my shoulder where I was like, you know what? I know I can do this. I know I can like be the guy on a college team and like win games. And so I think we were playing at an Anaheim tournament and uh, the Holy Names coach came to my court. You know, I was playing middle for Slancha and she was just like, do you play anything else? And I was like, uh, usually I'm an outside hitter. And then she was like, that's perfect. That's exactly what we're looking to recruit. And then so once that conversation got started, she told me after that tournament, come by the school, do a tryout. Uh, I'll evaluate your skills and things like that. And then so that was the plan. Right after we drove back from Anaheim, we stopped by Holy Names University in Oakland on the way back home. And then she, she was just like tossing me balls, watching me dig a little bit. And she really liked it. And it was from that moment she told me, you could start over here at Holy Names. So if you want to come and be a starter, this is the place to do it. And so that just perfectly matched up with what I saw myself being able to do. And so I almost right then and there after that tryout, I was like, yeah, I'll be here. I'll come. Right. And so that's just kind of how my recruiting went, you know, very organic, like a coach just saw me playing and was like, we should try to get him to come to school. And that's something that's very, very common because another one of the hats I wear other than club coach is d assistant at Dominican University. And it's a lot of recruiting. And that's what we coaches do. We walk around and we watch games at qualifiers and stuff. And anybody that piques our interest, we just try to go talk to them and let them know, hey, we're interested. Would you think about coming to the school and things like that? And that's how a lot of conversations get started to playing at the next level, you know, very organic, hey, this kid can play, right? Because it's like, especially in this day and age, everybody is making highlights, you have clips of all your good plays, but it takes away from the fact that you have to play a whole game. You can't win volleyball in just one play. You know, that's only one point. You got to you gotta score a lot. Yeah, I think it also shows that's why we travel for our national teams here. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously all the clubs, the top teams travel, but like you won't be able to get that organic uh, recruiting if you're not at those tournaments. Like you said, you were at, yes. a, at a big tournament in Anaheim mm -hmm. and you got discovered there by a coach. And yeah, you know, that's why it's important. Like every tournament these girls are at, right? Like you gotta perform, do your best because you never know yeah. who's watching, right? Who, yeah. who might be just walking by your court and they notice you and next thing you know, I could be your future coach, you know? Yeah, and that's just the, like you hit it on the head. Like you always have to give your best, right? And that's something, I talk about with my young team, I had to talk about it with my older team this year too, about you have to always give it your all. Mm -hmm. Because again, like you said, you never know who's watching, but also you never know what the result is gonna be. If you're like half trying and then you lose the game by two points, well, what would have happened if you had been trying as hard as you could? Maybe you win by two points, right? And so I never was a player where my coach had to ask me to try. like. I was just giving it my all every time I stepped on the court and there was no questions about it. Like you would not be able to, at the end of the game, say, oh, Conan didn't try. Like that was my mentality. I was giving it my all, whether it was offensively, defensively, keeping my serve in, I was gonna do everything I could to help my team win, right? And that's an important thing where if a whole team can buy into that culture, you're gonna be an amazing, amazing team. I think, you know, um, next I want to ask, because I'm curious too, is like, so high school and college, right? Mm -hmm. What are some 
or what's like a big struggle you had to overcome in high school and then in college and also what's like maybe your favorite memory in high school and college uh, my biggest struggle was definitely in uh serve receive in high school passing serve receive balls because when you're the, your team's best hitter they try to just target you mm-hmm. and so i got welcomed into that very early in my career where oh let's just keep serving this guy and then he won't be able to hit and so that's something that Leia helped me with because she told me I don't care how bad your pass is she was like I don't even care if you shank it she would tell me like after you pass you get ready to hit because guess what we're setting you and you have to try to get us this point whether you made a good pass or not and so that mentality is what kind of got me through I am bad at serve receive. I am bad at passing. But if I can pass it up in the air and my setter can come set me, it's kind of a good scenario that we're in and we have a chance to score that point. So I became very accustomed to scoring on those out-of-system balls, which is so, so important for any outside hitter out there listening. If you can score on out-of-system balls, you will have a great career mm-hmm. because it's those points where you're set like maybe 10 15 feet away from the net but you hit it as hard as you can to a corner and you can get a point right it doesn't have to be a perfect set and that's something all young outsides need to learn you don't need a perfect set to get a kill you do everything you can to score that point whether it's a bad set under the net too high too wide too inside you just got to go get it and so that that became a part of my career where it didn't matter if I passed it bad so that's how I hid that struggle that I had you know in serve receive in defense it was just pass the ball up in the air get set try to get us a point and that's something that you know helped with my growth because I didn't really start learning how to pass well or play defense until I was in college and I had it was my sophomore year of college too because that's when we got a really great grad assistant that was helping me with defense and she was, again, someone who just believed in me. Nobody, no, none of my other coaches believed that I could be good at defense, but she did. And it really helps when you have a coach who tells you, like, you can do this and things like that. And so I'm always a coach where I'm telling girls, you can do these things. Like, you make lots of errors in it now, but if you, you can do it. I always make sure I let them know, like, it's possible. Because when I had coaches believe in me, they got the best out of me. And so it's the same thing. So, you know, it sounds like probably early on in your career, you were more like an offensive weapon. Yes. <laughs> like coaches, and you said you kind of got disregarded as a, as a back row player. Yep. I, d- I was not in our Moreau practices getting service-receive reps. <laughs> so, like, do you feel like, like, how did, I mean, besides the, the coach believing in you and helping you, like, what what made you make that jump and, and evolve as a player and add the back row to your game, you know, in college? Uh, Well, so a big part of it was because, uh, you know, there's different sets in volleyball, but when I got to college, my favorite set became a BIC, which is a quick back row attack from the middle of the court. And so I loved hitting those. But then my coach told me, well, how can I keep you in the back row if you're not Mm -hmm. playing defense? And so once that finally clicked for me, because all of high school club, like I would just get taken out in the back row if we needed more defense. And I was okay with that. But then once she said, well, how are we going to set you these bigs if you can't keep yourself in the back row? And that's when it was like, 
okay, how do I get better at this then? And then so I really went through all the basics with this. I'm in college, you know, a college player, and I had to go back to fundamentals. I was passing a ball against the wall on my knee like 100 times before we'd even start practice. And the coach would just be in my ear, no, you're doing that wrong. No, your angle's not out. No, you're using your legs. No, you're not using your core. And it was just all these things in my ear to where once now I was in defense and I was in serve receive, all I would hear is her voice telling me, these are all the things you have to do. And then I would just do it. And then that's when I was able to keep myself back there. And so some really big career moments, especially in college, was when I got my first double-double which is, you know, double-digit stats and two stats. I, I mean, getting kills were easy for me. You know, I had like 18 kills, but the 10 digs was never done in my career ever. And so once I got that, it was really, really big moment for myself because it was like reassurance that you became like a volleyball player. You became a complete player. You're not just a one offensive-minded player. And so that was really, really big to me. And I have nothing but that grad assistant who came in and helped me and just completely flipped my career, you know, in my sophomore year of college. So it's another thing I tell players, you never stop learning and you never can, you never learn everything. Keep evolving your game. Yeah, yeah. because even, I mean, think about that. I was sophomore in college, so I was about 20, 20 years old, you know, and I still just (laughs) learned how to play defense and serve receive well. You know, a lot of players, today i mean you and i have both encountered high school and in college like they are hard-headed to are reluctant to to learn something new to adapt their game a lot of them are complacent and like yeah this is what i am i'm only Mm -hmm. a hitter right i'm only a a middle or something exactly so i think yeah like you had the coaches to help you Mm -hmm. but you had the the willingness to evolve your game to get better because you wanted to help your team and add something to your game you know mm-hmm. um going back to moreau like what's what's one memory maybe one game one match that really yeah. sticks well, out well so my best game in at moreau was we were playing against mission san jose and they and, were good right They're still and good. yeah they were they were they hadn't fallen off because n-line was still a club so all of them were still playing n-line all the time uh they were playing we were at moreau and we had to, you know, it was kind of a must-win game for us, right? And so this was my junior year. So this was part of my, you know, my campaign for first-team all-league unanimous outside hitter. And, I mean, maybe if you hear this story, you'll kind of buy into what I was capable of. But we went five sets with them. It was trading back and forth. They had won the first. We won the second. And then they won the third. We won the fourth. So very back and forth game and just as a preface we did win that game but i finished the game with 30 kills and so that's obviously across five sets you know i was playing and i was playing the whole time every every single game and yeah that was a big moment for me because this was like i think the second half of the season we were getting ready for like playoffs and things like that so a performance like that is really really memorable to me and I think about what was working it was big on the coaching because every game that we won it was because my coach had got me set up where the short uh, setter was blocking me 
and I would just go over the top of him every time I got set. So it was strategy. Yeah, those set. It was big into the strategy part where, and then when w- they were able to switch that matchup and have their big right side blocker blocking me, it was harder for my team to win, and they had won all of those sets. So it was a back and forth chess match, mm-hmm. uh, and that was just pure joy and I didn't even realize how many kills I had gotten until the end of the game where my coach was like do you even know what you just did and I was like no like we won like I'm so happy and I was just happy that we won and then he was like you got 30 kills I'm like you swung like 80 times and I was just like what (laughs) I was like wait really because you know at that time, whenever I would swing, you know, my mind would just kind of go blank. And it was either I got a kill or they dug me. And then I would just try to swing harder and harder. And so that would have to be one of the most memorable things because I carried that with me where I was like, I did that, you know. I almost, w- I, I mean, basically won a set single-handedly with just my kills. You know, 30 mm-hmm. kills, that's 30 points, you know. So that would have to be the most memorable like game of yeah, my see. high school career right that's because a crazy stat line actually yeah it, it was absurd and people don't uh <clears throat> some people don't put into like understand that five sets is like a lot if you're the one getting set all the time yeah and, and you don't get subbed out you don't get ds'd yeah you barely get, get you know you're you barely um get time to get water you know what i mean mm-hmm. like <laughs> how short the timeouts are right yeah and the crowd right so that's a, that's an awesome story like do you have any story like that like in college like favorite memory in college yeah well it was i mean going back to that double double game that was probably mm-hmm. really really big for me okay. um but most of i would even say when we would travel to the east coast and play those guys it was very more more of our level and we would play, I mean, one of my favorite games was when we played against Harvard. We got a chance to play Harvard. Harvard? Yeah. Wow. And so we, it was a big memory for me because me and my brother both had, like, our best games against that. Like, I had, like, I think I had, like, 18 kills, and he had, like, 12 kills on, like, 14 swings or something. Like, wow. Darren was having, uh, and you, you you guys both know Darren, right? Like, yeah, if people don't know, uh, Darren is Conan's yeah. um, younger, Old, older, older brother. brother. Sorry, older brother. Right. And, and he so coached with us. Yeah. Us, so. And so he was like, it was both of our best games. And so it was like, wow, we've been playing together for a long time. But for us both to have great games, that was rare. And so to do it in college, too, it was just unreal. Like, I was actually more happy for him getting all those kills. And he was like the most dominant middle in that game right and so it was really fun in that aspect that's a very fond memory i have of playing in college mm, yeah, against harvard too yeah and, and you're traveling to the east coast so. mm-hmm. yeah it was good we did lose that game though but it, it was a happy time because we me and him were both successful <laughs> yeah doing a good uh, both performing at a high level yeah um i think moving on now so you know you're coaching now right mm-hmm. how did you get into coaching like because you know, I think a lot of players, especially after if they play college ball, many of them actually don't end up coaching. You know, like, like everyone has a different coaching, you know, story, I guess. Like, how did you get into the, the whole, like, did you want to coach? Did you already know you wanted to coach, or did you just, like, so it, came, so it happened uh, my freshman year of college. Um, we needed to find jobs, and then 
my the head coach was kind of like, well, I know the club director at Absolute, and she was like, I can get you guys, you know, an assistant coaching job there, and you just have to drive over the bridge for practices and things like that, show up to tournaments. So in my mind, I was like, oh, I played club. Like, I know their schedule. It's not that hard. And now we don't even have to, like, be the ones practicing. We just stand around and tell them what to do. I was like, that doesn't – that sounds like an easy job, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And so that that was my first job, uh, 19 coaching, you know. So I was an assistant for a 12s team, their, their third team, a 12 white over at Absolute, and I was coaching with uh, Coach Joanne, and she was a really good mentor, you know, letting me know, because, I mean, like you're saying, I didn't know I was going to keep coaching after that. I was just like, oh, this is just going to be my job, make some extra money to make it through, you know, my semester at college. And so she was just really open on telling me, like, oh, this is why I'm doing this, this is why I do this, this lineup will work in this situation, things like that, and I was just soaking it all in you know just like how I was as a player I wanted to learn how to be the best coach I could and that wasn't even me planning on coaching for as long as I've been coaching now I was just getting into it doing it and you know I I loved sitting on the sideline and seeing people get excited you know like watching teams score points and especially we had a young 12s team where they would just go crazy every time they got a point so it was really really fun to see and I actually really enjoyed it like I had tons of fun coaching that season Um, but and then after that we got really busy and I really wanted to stay on track with my growth as a volleyball player so the girl season's the same as guys season and so it was really hard you know having extra time because you know I was a player who was always trying to get extra reps extra this so I didn't have that when I was coaching, so at my sophomore year I didn't coach, and then I got back into it my junior year of college because we had transitioned into being a club team at that point, so I was like, oh, it doesn't really matter. I'll just show up to play games, basically, and things like that. I didn't need practice anymore at that point of my career because it was club. It wasn't very serious. We would beat a lot of the club teams because we all, we all played a much higher level than that, and that's when I head coached at Club VIP with uh, Ted, you know, Ted, Ted coached here for a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, but he gave me, he was just like, you find girls and you coach them. And I was like, oh, I have to do everything. Like, it's not just going to be handed to me, you know, like being an assistant at Absolute, they just kind of build your team for you and hand it over to you. So I had to like go out. That was the year I started coaching at uh, St. Bede. As well, I did a season of CYO there. So a lot of the girls on my club VIP team are girls from that CYO team that I was coaching. And we only had, we had started the season with seven girls, but then one of them got hurt. And so we, we had to do the whole season with basically six. Wow. <laughs> and so it was a good opportunity as a head coach for the first time because I didn't have to worry about playing time. I didn't have to worry about complaints from the parents on that. It was just are we winning games? Are they getting better? And so I assured them we were getting better. We won, we won games here and there off of, you know, some good serves and some luck a little bit, but it was fun, you know, being able to head coach. And I was like, this is my culture that I built. Like, this is all me. I didn't have an assistant. I didn't have Ted telling me what to do and stuff. I just took the girls, explained what I wanted to run. And then we 
ran with it and we just did it. And I really, really enjoyed that season, even though it was just six girls. Our practices, we would just have to like find other teams to scrimmage. So I was always trying to meet other coaches at these tournaments and saying like, hey, where are you guys? We practice in Union City. Would you guys be down to come to a practice and just play against us? Because I only had the six. We could never scrimmage. I did a lot of one on six, me playing against the six <laughs> of them. But we needed that experience of scrimmaging. So that's kind of what got me into like how I am today. I love meeting other coaches and I'll talk to them. I'll talk their ears off about like, oh, I like what you did here. How did you convince your team to like do that or run this kind of system and things like that. And meeting coaches is one of my favorite things about being a club coach is getting to talk to other coaches and like what they think about the game, what they think is important, what they think is not important, you know, stuff like that. So that's just, you know, once I did that and then after that club season, I got linked up with Matt who, you know, we had a very good interview, I think. It was late at night, and we just... Yeah, I remember You that. immediately <laughs> knew, like, yeah, you're going to get... You can work here. You can be a UC Elite coach. And we just kind of talked about volleyball for, like, two, three hours. Yeah, I remember, because <clears throat> I think Ted referred you, right? Yeah, exactly. And I was like, that name, Conan, sounds familiar. It's very... I don't know a lot of Conans. Or, I was like, is yeah. this the kid from, like, Moreau <laughs> that we used to game plan against, mm -hmm. you know? <clears throat> and then when I... Yeah, when you came in, I was like, oh, this is the kid from, like, Moreau, yeah. so... And so, and then that's when I started coaching here at UC Elite. I think that was my senior year of college, and then you know been here ever since. So since 2018. Yeah, and I think, <coughs> like, from my perspective, obviously, you know, like I I coached against you, mm -hmm. to now you're you know, you know where we're at today. I think Conan definitely like I could see like you've grown a lot as a coach because, like you said, you started when you were 19 also. Mm -hmm. And I think over the years, you've taken on bigger roles, right? Yeah. More management of players, management of parents, uh, uh, strategies and stuff like that. And you're leveling up your game. Like, um, so like now you're coaching with us and uh, Dominican, right? Mm -hmm. How did you, or how, how did you get into college and kind of, what was your first experience? Like yeah, it was, level? I mean, another opportunity from you, Matt, where uh, I think the head coach at Dominican had reached out and said he was looking for, like, an assistant who could come around. And I was just one of the coaches who was like, you know what, I do want to try my hand in college, you know. I'm, I was a very advanced player my whole career, so I liked working with people who can handle the advanced kind of things of volleyball, not just the basics and fundamentals. I want to be able to share my knowledge and things like that so working with college kids was extremely fun you know they're so when they when they show up to practice it's a different air about it than like club practices club practices yeah there a lot of people are showing up to see their friends you know that they don't see all the time but when you're playing in college you see your teammates like every day and so it's different they come in like it's ready to work time you know it's all business and so when I started giving feedback and, you know, tricks to college players and then see it happen in the game, that's where I was like, this is kind of the level I love. This is the level I want to be at where I can say something and then I can see it get executed almost like the very next point or the very next rep in practice. And so building players in that way who are capable of 
changing it up, taking feedback and applying it. That's just something where I fell in love with it. And it's actually funny if I'm to compare the two, college is like coaching college girls is very similar to coaching like young girls, which, you know, you would probably think like that doesn't make any sense. But young girls, when they first start playing volleyball, they don't have any idea. They don't have bad habits built yet. Mm-hmm. And so when you're coaching them, you're taking away their bad habits, putting in good ones. And if they keep doing it and they keep adding it into their toolbox, like, oh, I'm going to do this good thing. I'm going to do this good thing. That's when they become really great players. And it's very similar to in college. The only difference is they have a lot of experience. They have a lot of past things that they have learned. And those are hard to kind of remove from them at that point. But that's what taught me to like work with what I have, you know, like, oh, she does things this way. I'm not going to try to change it too much. I'm just going to help her put herself in a great situation to be able to use her skills kind of a way. So that's a a little difference. But then the similarities are right there where what I tell my 13 year olds when I coach them is very similar to the way I talk to these college players. Right. And it's like there's not too much off or too far off in between where it's very different. I'd say the same things I I say in college to how I coach my club teams over here at UC Elite. Yeah, that's funny because um, I think when I was at East Bay, like <clears throat> it's the same thing like like, like you just said. Um, the game is the game. Like mm-hmm. volleyball is volleyball. Like I think there's a notion like people that don't know about college, like they think there's like some kind of amazing drills. It's cr- you know, but no, it's actually it's, the same drills, the same. just done at a higher level. Mm-hmm. The college girls are making similar mistakes, po- you know, as in high school, but mm-hmm. at a higher, you know, at a higher level, right? Obviously, yeah. you know. But end of the day, it's like angles are angles, yeah. right? Moving your feet, we're saying the same thing, and I think that's why, uh, you know, I think maybe, maybe my team last year I forgot. I was telling them like the stuff I'm telling you. This is what I'm telling. Yeah the college girls like this morning you know what I mean or at our game and it's the same feedback it's just done at a higher level you yeah. know and I think the younger like you said you're coaching 13 and you're coaching uh 21 year olds you yeah, know in college basically. and like it's the game is the game it's just obviously different levels but I think it's good for the younger generation to be learning these right habits and how to play the game correctly because guess what? It's the same thing in college, yeah. just at a higher level. You know? Yeah, and my favorite thing, so I we do early morning practices at Dominican, and then I have practices in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing to do is have our practice at Dominican and then take something that we did over there, and I just make my 13-year-olds do it. I'm just like, let's just see how it goes, how it works, and it always looks good because they have the good habits. They have the the right mentality and so college level drills being done with 13 year olds and I've been a really big fan of you're never too young to learn how to do something you know advanced you know exposing them because you're either gonna learn very early on oh I'm not ready to do this or you're gonna be like oh I can do this and then you just keep doing it right like teach a lot a big thing that I have on my team with my 13s is telling them you got to be able to hit the ball line, right? And that's something I remember working with like your your very famous team here at UC Elite. That was the same thing I was telling them when I came in mm-hmm. and I was working with them. You have to be able to hit line. And so why can't you learn how to hit line when you're 13? Yeah, It's only going to make you better because then once you get up to, you know, senior in high school, 
you already know what you have to do. You have to hit that ball line, right? And so that's just something that I've learned, you know, don't just teach the basics to these little kids. They're, they're so much more capable than I think pe coaches give them credit for. Like not just, oh, she's 12, she can't learn how to jump serve. I had half this team, this third team's team doing jump serves when they were 12. Like it's just about, do they want to learn? Can you teach them the right motions? And then how do they execute on it, right? So that's something without or throughout my coaching career that I had to learn was like, don't hold back information from <coughs> these players. Like, just tell them how it is. This is like what you're saying, the game's the game. It's changed very little, right? And so if we as coaches can just teach them at whatever age they are, 13, 15, 16, 18, 21, 22, like whatever you can teach them, teach it to them because they're either gonna learn and it's gonna click or you're gonna have to have a conversation with them and explain why it's done this way and how you can get it done, right? And so that's something I've adapted into my coaching style where I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, I'm just gonna tell you what I think is the best thing to do. And you can either listen, you know, coming from 17 years of playing, you can either listen to the advice I'm giving you or you can just ignore it and then we'll see what kind of player you become based on your decision. You know, um, it got me thinking like, that's, I feel like, yeah, like sometimes we get some players that like they're, they're not as coachable or they don't want to listen to us. And sometimes I feel like, <clears throat> you know, I want to say like, do you think we're making this up, right? Like you said, 17 years, right? <laughs> yeah. Or like your coaching college and stuff, like we're not pulling this out of nowhere, right? Yeah. And you know, it's kind of like, that's why you got to trust your coach right and just imagine if you're training these girls teaching them college stuff things they're doing in college all they have to basically do is just be open to it absorbing it mm -hmm. and they're gonna be way better off you know what i mean compared yeah. to like you know i've seen college players or like college freshmen like they get to college and it's like their first time you know hearing ball control or like how to do certain things and it's like wow you should have learned this a long time ago you know yeah. and um you know, I think it kind of reminded me how you're saying, like, w w it doesn't matter what age, mm -hmm. you're training them at, like, the best level you can. <clears throat> Same thing, like, our old Logan teams, like, we basically ran our team like a college back yeah. then. Like, when I got to East Bay, the, the way, what we did in terms of, like, how we traveled and, like, kind of, like, I guess, the practice layout sometimes was basically the same way we used to do it at Logan where, like, you know, the whole lift session, yeah. uh, skill work, positional work, and then, like, the game you know, game drills, game work, traveling and all that. So I think, like you said, exposing the kids earlier to higher level things, yeah. like will only give them the better tools when they get to yeah. that higher level, you know? Yeah, and it gives them more time to work at it. I've had conversations with some of the girls on the team. They have college aspirations, right? They, they already know like a little bit of my story. I don't know if they're gonna hear anything new from this, but this is about allowing them to have time to master it. That's something that I talk to them about a lot is like, you're learning this now and you're 13. Like uh, a big thing is uh, we do this star drill. It's just a conditioning thing. It makes the girls work hard. And you basically just start in the middle of the volleyball court and you gotta touch the sideline, go into your sides, touch the corners, going towards the net and back. And I told them in college, we make our girls have to get 20, 
24 seconds, I think. And then so I'm having them do it. I time them. And then I'm like, look, you're at 30 seconds and you're 13. So if you just, as you're getting older, once you're in college, six years, you're 19 years old, you just take a second off every year. You're on track and now you're ready. And so building a plan for them like that is something that I think I have, you know, I have more experience in because I've seen, I've seen that level, right? I tell them when we run 17s, you have to do it really fast, right? When I was playing in college, we had to be under 40 seconds when we ran a 17, right? My girls, my 13th team, they run it the fastest at 45, the slowest at like 50. It's really good times right now. Mm -hmm. And this is early on where I'm trying to get it in their head. If you want, if you do have those aspirations, you just push yourself harder to get a faster time every year, you know? And if you push it on them now early, they have time to do it where it doesn't have to happen overnight. You know, where you have to tell like a senior in high school, oh, you gotta get your vertical up and they have to like increase their vertical by six inches. You know, it's this all very gradual that I'm giving them where- It's a process. Yeah, the process of building it. And I think, I think it's benefiting a lot of these girls on the team. I see tons of improvement and growth from them. And I don't wanna take all the credit because a lot of the credit goes to the player being willing and putting in the work, right? Just like how I was, probably viewed as a coach's favorite, but I was always putting in the work. I never slacked. And the only thing I slacked on a lot in, and this is probably a regret that I have with my playing career, is in the weight room. I had mm -hmm. a hard time pushing myself in the weight room where I would do the bare minimum, no matter That's what. a lot of players. Say. I would ask the coach, what, what's the minimum I have to do? And I just remember it was, we were doing a pull-up test in college, and I asked, I had asked, I was like, what's the bare minimum that we have to do in order to like play? Because if you didn't pass the fitness test, you weren't gonna practice. Mm. So I was like, what's the bare minimum? And she said, you have to do at least 10 pull-ups. And so I pumped out 10 of the easiest pull-ups of my life, and then I stopped. Mm. You know, Even though I knew I could go way longer because it was super easy, but I was like, what is the minimum? So that's something when I look back on my career, when it comes to the weight room and training, things like that, don't just do the minimum, do more, right? I was very lucky and you know talented and just naturally athletic, but I was up on that pull-up bar and everybody, when I got down, was like, why didn't you keep going? I was like, well, I passed the test, didn't I? And that's all that mattered to me at that point. What made you change your mindset about that now, like as a coach? Uh, what changed it was because I saw the results where I was, you know, I was a good, a great division two player, but, and then I think back, maybe if I put in all that work and extra stuff, I could have been a good division one player, mm. right? And it's that separation where it clicked in my head, that's what I had lacked. I lacked that as a player in the weight room because, you know, I saw all my teammates working their, working their asses off. Mm. And I was just like, what's the minimum? And that's where I stayed at no matter what, whether it was bench press, squats, as you say, what's the minimum weight we have to do? What's the minimum amount of reps? And that's where I stayed at. I never pushed myself at all. I never increased weight. I never did this. I never did that. I was just, what's gonna keep me on the court playing? And so that, I think that's, actually. it is, it is. And, and that's like, honesty to yourself. I think <laughs> honesty and good reflection. And I think, see, that's another thing, like coaches, at least the good coaches, like a lot of us, we want to teach our players the mistakes that you know like we want to save them from the mistakes that we made as players um 
because why would we let our players do the same mistake and go through it? Like, you know, exactly. I think honestly, Connor just reminded me same, same here. Honestly, when I was in high school, yeah. when I was playing <clears throat> because we were already jumping high, yeah, had a vertical and we could jump and whatever. Like we, I didn't go hard in the weight room either. And mm-hmm. that's why today, like, I mean, as a coach, like I try to encourage the kids and get like, I know what they're thinking and, yeah. and where they're coming from. Cause that was us. Yeah. But it's like, learn from my mistakes like i didn't exactly i could have been way better if i did this or got more Mm -hmm. you know or if i started doing this earlier right like who knows how good we could have been like imagine having a vertical but we never squat you know we didn't really squat (laughs) we just did whatever and then imagine if we took weightlifting serious like how much higher yeah how much harder we could have hit. i did way more like plyometrics than anything because i i would love those stuff those things i would do all day right and so that's just the kind of person i was where lifting weights moving weights around it just was not enjoyable to me right but you know jumping up on boxes jumping over boxes because mm-hmm. that was something we did at moreau where we had this high box where if you could jump over it you knew you you could dunk the ball and so that was our measuring stick where we, we would laugh at the people who couldn't jump over this box that was <laughs> like crazy high <laughs> right and yeah. so it was just you know different motivations i was motivated to show how you know, explosive and athletic I was, I was not very motivated to show you how much weight I can move. (laughs) That was never like, oh yeah, look at how much I can bench press. I was never that guy. But then I know tons of people who are like, this is how much I bench press. I'm really good (coughs) at this, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's just a different kind of way of thinking. And yeah, plyometrics, very, very important because I think we had had a conversation about like what we used to do when we were younger, you know, dunking on low hoops and stuff like that's plyometric work right and that's something i was always dunking i'd always start off like at like seven feet and then just keep raising it a foot a foot a foot a foot because when you know you can already dunk on 10 feet now you're like well what kind of dunks can i do on a lower rim you know so i was like going between the legs windmills and things like that so it's just that was the work i wanted to put in i didn't want to work out in a weight room I wanted to work out where I was jumping and doing things that were explosive. Yeah, I think that's one point. Like, I think because <clears throat> when we were growing up, like we did a lot of different sports and played outside a lot. And like yeah. you said, we did a lot of jumping for fun. No one told mm-hmm. us to go jump. Yeah, I think I remember like, you know, we would play around <clears throat> on a men's net and raise it higher. Yes, and we just did see that. like what does this feel like hitting yeah. over like what is that ten feet or nine something? Yeah just for fun you know yeah um, we did that for moreau practices because we weren't allowed to bounce a ball at practice she was like it's very rare that you'll do that in a game so we practiced on a higher men's net so and then when we would get to the lower men's net we would actually be able to bounce it when we could and i think that helped me a lot because even on the high net at practice i would still almost be able to bounce it <laughs> so it gives you confidence yeah, for sure and um you know coming so like playing in college you know, there's a mental aspect to it, right? Um, <clears throat> it's tough. It's not a joke. It's you got to be serious. You need passion and the work ethic. Um, how was your mental state in college, and how did you handle the you know the whole thing? Because weightlifting, yeah. schoolwork, practices, mm-hmm. the traveling. We all know in college traveling's a lot because you're yeah. flying yeah. to time zones and whatnot, balancing that. Um, yeah, yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so, I mean, coming in as a freshman, I remember, because we came in in the summer, like July, 
and we were just having open gyms and stuff. That was the first show where I was like, oh my gosh, all my teammates are really good. And it was actually the first time I was questioning, I was like, I might not be the best player on this team, you know? And so that started to show when we started playing our first games, you know, come around January time, after all those open gyms, after all those weight trainings and conditioning, all that hard work that you put in. And then my <coughs> first game playing against, um, who did we play? We were playing against UC Santa Cruz. So a team that I also, I wanted to go to that school to play. So I had kind of a chip on my shoulder. I wanted to have a good game, but I had made a lot of errors early on in the game. And then I was benched, you know, and it was the first time I had been benched in my life, you know, wow. taken out for errors. And that's something that, you know, I was obviously not used to, but the way I took it was I had realized where I was like, I'm not the best player on this team. So I thought it was a good coaching decision on her part to take me out because I was just costing the team points. But instead of, you know, going back and being all sad and things like that, you know, obviously I did feel awful, but I felt awful more that I was letting my team down. Mm. You know, I wasn't performing to the caliber I was expected to perform at as a starter. And so being pulled out, it was enlightening because after the game, I had I already had a plan. I was going to approach the coach and be like, what can I do to f keep my starting spot and things like that? But during the game, I finally bought into, like, the bench culture on, like, cheering on your team. And, you know, being a starter for as long as I have been, I was very rarely on the bench. So I didn't get to do a whole lot of that, you know, the cheers, the getting excited, <coughs> doing mm -hmm. the dances or handshakes that the teammates would do when certain people would get kills. I wasn't a part of that. And so when I got to be a part of that in college, it was so fun. Like, I genuinely was like, maybe I don't want to play anymore. Like, this <laughs> is exciting, too. Like, getting to watch <coughs> your teammates that you practice against, the yeah. teammates that you work hard with, and you see them be successful and being able to cheer and, like, have that kind of camaraderie it's like it was fun to me and I enjoyed it so I wasn't it made me get through that game because I was like not thinking about my errors anymore and then I had my plan to go talk to the head coach I was like look I know I messed up my bad what can I do to prove to you that I can be on the court and she just told me like be yourself she was like don't try to be uh, the big hitter on our team was Kyle and he would just absolutely destroy balls and he was she told me she's like you're not that player you don't have to be that player we don't want you to be that player be the smart hitter that you are and so once I learned that that's how you know the change of my career uh in college and I became freshman of the year at Holy Names wow. because of that you know because of my really good hitting percentage because that first game I just saw everybody hitting the ball so hard so I was like well I'm starting I have to hit the ball hard too and I was just getting blocked. I was hitting it in the net, hitting the ball out. And it just wasn't my identity as a player. I was a very calculating player. And so once my coach told me, like, we don't want you to be a different player. We want you to be who you are. So I showed up to the next few practices, and I never got blocked. I would just tool my teammates and hit it to spots, tip it to good spots and things like that. And then regain my coach's trust that this is what I was going to do in the game when she saw me do it at practice like tooling my teammates things like that hitting it off the block that was my game and that's what 
I think she saw when she was recruiting me, she was like, this person is very, very calculating. And so that's something that I had to overcome. It was like an identity crisis. Like, mm. oh, I'm <coughs> supposed to be a starter. All these other starters are bouncing the ball, hitting the ball really hard. But you just kind of have to understand who you are and what makes you the player that you are. Like your journey on how you got to where you are. And it just, you know, light bulb in my head. I was like, why hit the ball to the ground when I can hit the ball into your block into the antenna? Yeah. And then just get a point that way. So once I discovered that and, you know, I had a lot of triple blocking practice in high school. So when I got triple blocked in college, I already kind of knew what to do and what to expect. Um, I just became, you know, a very, very smart, talented hitter who can take any set, put a ball wherever wherever I thought I could put it. And that was kind of, you know, my career in college was that first game where I thought I had to be something different and then being told that's not what the coaches wanted from me and that's not what my teammates wanted from me, you know, because they were all very shocked too. Like, why are you trying to be like him? Like, be you, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was like, that was a big moment for me, you know, being able to have that confidence given to me, like, just do what you always do. And so give it, uh, that's the coach's job, I think, is giving a player confidence <coughs> to do what they're good at. Yeah. And so I do a lot of that where I try to put my players in good situations where they can succeed, but it takes a lot of game planning and strategizing, you know, an unsung thing that coaches have to go through because yeah. they know all the pieces that they have, but how do they use each piece in each situation is – the high pressure stakes that coaches have every time we go to like a qualifier, for example, you know, things like that. Yeah. You know, I think what you said is it sounds like you are, you, you've evolved quite a bit throughout your playing career. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just, like I said, it's also just your coachability. Yeah. Open-mindedness. Like that's why, you know, we tell players today, like you cannot just be stuck (coughs) in one position. Yeah. You're going to, you know, I'm this, I'm going to be this forever. Like you might have to evolve, you know, you might have to change positions or take a different role, you know? And, um, cause yeah, at at the college level, you don't know what they're going to have you play if you play. Exactly. And maybe, you know, along the way you might have to, yeah, obviously evolve if you want to be successful and help your team be successful, you know? So I think it's a good story just for, you know, the players today to hear that, this is why we're pushing you mm-hmm. to to learn all the skills to do different yeah. things try a different position you know yeah and i hope also my story helps all you young folks out there like talk to your coach Communicate. right i would not have been able to keep my starting spot in college if i was not open to discussing why i wasn't playing with the coach yeah right why did i get taken out you know lay it out for me a coach will give that to you they're not just going to walk away and say just because there's always a reason a coach has so be open to talking to your coach and have your role be defined because it's so so important that's how teams get built when you're playing a team sport and especially in a game like volleyball because believe me I have tried winning a game by myself you cannot do it you need your whole team to be behind you and helping you out to win in this game so Find out where you best fit on whatever team you're on and be open with your coach because that's something 
especially with my young kids, I'm defining their roles for them. I'm like, when you're on the court, I expect you to do this, this, and this. If you're not doing it, I'm going to find somebody else who has the same role as you, right? And it's being open with them like that at a young age where I hope I'm giving them the confidence to be able to talk to me and ask me, why am I not playing? What can I do to get on the court, right? Because that conversation needs to be had, especially if your goal is to be on the court. If you do like just standing around and sharing and stuff, you know, don't talk to your coach. But if you want to be in the game and in those moments, talk to your coach. That's, that is, that's the number that one thing. Good advice because I feel like a lot of players today, like Stacy, you, you, you and I experience this a lot. Like they're afraid to talk to the coach. Yeah. They're afraid to advocate for themselves. They rather have their parent send an email yeah. or ask for them when they could literally, they see you every day. They could yeah. go ask you yourself and, you know, I feel like <clears throat> it could be because some of them are, like, afraid to hear the truth, maybe, or yeah. to accept the truth, or they're afraid of whatever. But it's, like, whatever the coach says to you, like, first off, it's not to harm you. It, mm-hmm. It's, like, they want to be real with you so they can help you get better. Like, yeah. your coach was, was real with you, right? They yeah. told you that this is not you, Conan. This is not your role. Yeah. Um, Stace, like, you, you don't you have any memories of, like, another example of that? Like, just, like, lack of communication or, like... Well, the, the funny thing is, like, um, whenever I have my parent meetings for basketball, like we always go over this part in the meeting where it's a rule, at least for Logan basketball and on the girl side, uh, parents cannot discuss playing time with the coaches. Mm-hmm. And sometimes parents are looking at us like, why? Like, why can't we talk about it? And I'm like, my biggest thing is teaching these kids how to advocate for themselves yeah, because, you know, yeah. all the skills that they're learning is for life not Mm -hmm. just in the sport or whatever, because not everyone's going to go professional. You know what I mean? And like some of the, some of the times I'm like, the girls need to learn how to, uh, in the future, maybe they need to talk to their boss about something. Maybe they want like a raise or they, they felt kind of similar to like, Oh, I want more playing time. So like, how do, how do we get them ready for that? You know what I mean? Just the ability to communicate an issue. Like Mm -hmm. I think without communication, like if Conan didn't communicate, he could be assuming something. Yeah. Oh, you know, somehow some players think like, I got benched. I must have done something wrong. Sometimes they just want to rest you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. That's true. Or they, or coach doesn't like me, mm-hmm. bench me, or it's or blaming me. But none, none of that was said. No. And no communication. And like, without communication, Conan could have just went back to the bench and just like pouted or like yeah. had all these assumptions. Yeah. Same thing with the coach. You know what I mean? Like those two sides of it, and like simple communication. Like yeah. what. You know, but then also it's like taking accountability. Mm-hmm. Like Conan took accountability in that story, that hey, I was messing up, I'm negative or whatever. But then, okay, you take accountability, you you admit the problem, but okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. What's the next steps, right? Like you're not gonna pout about what just happened and it's in the past. Like, yeah. how can I get better, right? Or how could I? What do I need to do? Yeah. And it's that simple with with like today. Like yeah. it could yeah. be that simple. I mean, but it's yeah. not because. And I think like. Conan being our second guest coach Linda already talked about this too so it's like for our listeners out there like they should start to see like a pattern you know when it comes down to communication and especially if it comes down to playing time you know or trying to figure out what their role is on the team yeah Yeah. and it it is a nerve-wracking experience don't get me wrong I was very very nervous trying to ask my college coach what can what I can do to get back on the court Mm -hmm. I was ready to hear the worst but then when I heard what she had said, I was like, that's easy. I can do that. I can be myself, right? And sometimes 
it's that easy. Obviously, other times it's not going to be so mapped out, right? It's going to be maybe you have to get more reps in this. Maybe it's going to be train harder when you're at practice. But you need to hear that because a lot of, especially in the club sport, you know, a club sport, you earn your playing time at practice. But then the way I talk about it with uh, players is, but now you have to, you know, stay on the court and you have to create your own opportunity. You like there's no playing time in volleyball. You get playing rotations. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to play for maybe three rotations if you're a middle libero, you know, kind of thing, or three rotations if you're doing a 6-2 set or like you can stay on the court the whole game. You know, you can win a game 25-0 and never rotate and then just those six girls will be on the court the whole game. Yeah. Right? But then if you start getting into this thing where Oh, I made an error now, they get a point. Okay, I did something good, now we get a point. Oh, I made another error, now they get a point. That's two of your rotations right there, right? And that's yeah. four points scored, right? And so that's something that's in volleyball, especially when there's limited subs, you sub during rotations, you don't sub based off of like timing or like things like that. It's hard, but when you get out there, that's why you have to make the most of your opportunity and not be the one to mess up up your playing time, right? That's something when I was playing middle in Slancha for, uh, you know, my my, uh, little time at a middle stint, uh, my coach just told me, don't be the reason you stop serving. You know, don't be the reason you get taken out by the libero because you know Mm -hmm. it's coming. You know, you play your three rotations in the front. Don't be the reason. So I started picking up tips. I started picking up setter dumps because I was like, I'm not going to be why I'm off the court, right? And that's something coaches do need to explain, but also as a player, you should just be doing it. You're on the court. Why make an error? Every time you make an error, you got to rotate. And then if you're a three-rotation player, <clears throat> that's your playing time right there going out the window off of your own errors, right? That's a good example, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, yeah, players need to think about that. Yeah, like, uh, and so I was not going to go back there and, like, serve the ball in the net. There was no chance. There was no chance I was going to do that to myself, mm-hmm. you know? And Especially if you're, like, the one that just goes to serve, maybe. Like, mm-hmm. if you're a serving specialist, like, yeah, why would you, yeah. why would you miss? Like, yeah, I because mean, I see I see it in uh, college games when I watch, like, the NCAA tournament and stuff for girls. Like, there are girls where that is their role. They're a serving mm-hmm. specialist. Yeah. They get in the game. They're not missing. They're trying to stay on the court because right when they side out the other team sides out they're, out. they're coming out out yeah. of the game right so that's making the most of the opportunity you're given right that's what it that's what it comes down to don't oh i'm just gonna sub in for one play maybe like that's the wrong mentality to have already be thinking if you're a serving specialist get in there and be like i'm gonna serve the rest of the game that's the mentality you should have I'm not coming off the court. Imagine and you can do it with your serves. <laughs> imagine, though, if all the players had that same mindset. Yes. I don't think the ball's going to hit the ground that no, often anymore. No. Right? And they're all going to play more. And that's you know? uh, just, you know, speaking from this last uh, power league that my 13s had, that's what I started to see was the ball was not dropping on our side, and I've been hammering it in them at practice. The big thing that I say now at practice is we cannot afford the ball to drop on our side. I want them, the other team, to ace us. I want them to kill it on us. Mm-hmm. I want them to block us hard. That's what's going to cost us to lose a point. And I started seeing it with those girls working their hardest in defense 
at keeping that ball in the air. Yeah, they weren't always amazing passes, but the ball was up and it was not a ball, you know, like a free ball dropping on our side. And that's just a mentality thing where you just have to do it. I talk a lot about with my team's defense is like 20% knowing the, the scheme or the system that we're running. And the rest of it, 80%, is just effort. Like, like the coach can put you in a spot, but we can't pass the ball for you. Yeah. We're putting you in that spot for you to now go and get that ball up in the air in defense. So that's a really big thing, and it's, again, mindset, right? If you just think, like, oh, I just stand here because the coach tells me to stand here. If the ball gets hit to me, I'll pass it. But if not, I'm just going to stand in the spot. That's not the right way to think about it. Right. Defenses yeah. are designed to cover the whole court and it it's designed that way. So and then you start in one spot and you probably finish in a completely different spot if you're playing defense correctly. Yeah, you know, I've seen there's some players like they think and parents, I guess they think volleyball sometimes is black and white. Mm. And like there's a lot of gray in yeah. the sense of like, yes, this is your spot yeah. where you're supposed to be. But the ball's not it's not supposed to be hit straight to you. Yeah. Like there's a sense. There's a bit of reading, you know, obviously mm-hmm. reading's important. Yeah. Your athleticism, your reaction time, all that is like not the same for each player. Everyone's yeah. a little different. And like you said, like a coach's job is to put you in a position <clears throat> but you have to be the one to make the play. Yeah. Like, you know, like we can't be the ones to get the dig for you. Yeah. And, you know, I think yeah, there's like a misunderstanding about like um how Conan was saying, like, you know, it's the players making plays. Like mm-hmm. you guys have to make the play. The effort is, you know, we cannot try for you. Like, yeah. And um, as much as we want to, because yeah. believe me, when I coach, every second, all I want to do is like check myself into the game and just start <laughs> playing. You know, but yeah. yeah, it's it's a lot on the players. It's the coach's game plan and then the players' execution. So, I mean, who who can you really blame in losses and wins? You know. It's all it's all on the players. Whenever my team wins a good game, yeah. I'm like, hey, they listened to me, but they were the ones who went and did it. When they lose, you know, it's did they listen to me? Did they try to enact the game plan I did, or were they, you know, was that team just better than us? You know, those are things coaches have to wrestle with a lot of the time. Is like, was it my game planning, or was it how I was running practices that made us lose, or was it just the other team being better? Right, and there are those mo- those notions in a, especially when you go to qualifiers for a national team. There's some club teams that practice five days a week, yeah. And then there's our teams where three days a week is a lot, right? And they miss practice, and they'll miss practices, yeah. and so it starts becoming that where how much can you really blame a coach for losing? You know, mm-hmm. that's what that's kind of what, especially for you know I've been coaching for almost a decade now, like. That's what I've I've been thinking about a lot is like, you know, I would blame myself all the time when I was a player. I never looked to my coach and was like, this is your fault. Mm -hmm. It was always, I was blaming myself, you know, with 20 kills going into three sets and losing. Like, I was like, that's my fault, my bad guys. Never, never did I once say our coach is the reason we lost. And that's just a mentality thing you have to have when you're, playing a sport like volleyball where it's very much defined by errors you make and errors you don't make it's accountability mm-hmm. like <clears throat> i think it's spot on in the sense of coaches we actually feel more helpless mm-hmm. being on the bench because yes. we cannot play we mm-hmm. cannot 
<clears throat> make you less nervous. We cannot yeah. help you read faster, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, honestly, the only time I feel like you could really blame a coach is if they mess up the lineup. Yes. Or if they put the wrong people on, like they yeah. bench somebody on purpose or something like yeah. that, something crazy like that. But for the most part, winning and losing, like even when when we would win. I still, it's the players. It's you all know? them. I mean, do I have do I have a part in it? Obviously, but am I the reason why we yeah. solely won? No. Like, but then isn't you know? I feel like a couple of years ago there was this notion. Like someone told me like, might have been another coach. They were like, when um, I think it goes, when you win, it's the players. Mm-hmm. When you lose, they blame the coach. Yeah. Like the parents, you know, and it's like that's like kind of true because like when things go bad. People try to fight. Like, well, who are we yeah. blaming here? You know. Yeah. <clears throat> and yeah, I think, especially t- in today's time, like, there's less and less players that take accountability, even though they're the ones in the game touching the ball, especially yeah. the ones that play all the time. And um, you know, compared to like now, like if we win, no one really is like, oh, yeah. it's the coach. We won because of Conan, or mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's like we won because that girl's got 20 kills. Yeah. Or that girl, you know, yeah, played great. But then when we lose, like I said, it's like. Oh, everyone's us. looking at us now and stuff yeah. and i mean i think there's accountability it should be on both yeah you know, we're like a team. like by no means are me and matt saying it it's never the coach's fault like yeah there's some there's, instances there's some instances maybe we didn't have the best practice plan maybe we like he was saying maybe we did a wrong lineup it wasn't the right fit people weren't you know clicking together and things like that there is still some that lands on the coach but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. no matter who's out there, if they're playing as hard as they can, they can win a game. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that's something definitely at UC Elite, you know, I'm here very often and I watch a lot of our teams. Like, we have players who are capable of winning games. It's just whether or not they're going to give it their all. Yeah. You know, because I, I see it at practices where, oh, I can see that this girl is like maybe the best player on the team, but she's not trying. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And it's very easy to see that. It's very, very easy to see a very talented player not trying. Mm -hmm. And for all you young, talented players out there, always try hard. Just because you're the best doesn't mean there's somebody not working to outdo you. So, you know, hard work always beats talent if talent fails to work hard. That's a a very big thing that I got from playing basketball where, Mm -hmm. you know, we were very motivated because we were always like, hey, guess what? The other team is practicing like us and maybe – their bench player is trying to become a starter. Maybe the starter is trying mm. to go play in college. Like they're always working harder, so that's why even if you're talented, you still have to work hard. That's funny you bring that quote up because I that's something I instilled in my middle school kids. Mm. And that's I have great. kids at high school they're like, Coach Stacy, you remember that quote? I was like, No duh, I'm the one that told you mm-hmm. guys it. Mm-hmm. And one of my kids, she's like a junior now, mm-hmm. she's like, it motivates me still, like because I'm it's trying so to chase important like all these goals and stuff like that to get to the next level and i was like man no one's outworking you right now you know and like you're gonna stay up there and once everyone else is able to catch on to that like just imagine how much better the whole team would be and i really think that's how leaders get created in sports is you lead by example that's step one when people see a very talented player working as hard as they can then it clicks for them where they're like, oh, that's what I, that's what I should be doing. But then the most talented player on a team may be goofing around at practice, not taking it very seriously. It hurts a team. It hurts a team. And I've seen it ruin teams before. Because if that best player isn't working hard, guess what? Now the worst players, they're not going to be working hard. And then now 
what's happening to this team is everybody's just getting worse, right? So it's so, so important. Whether you think you're the best player on the team or not, you work as hard as you can mm -hmm. every time you come to a two-hour practice because that's, that's your time. You know, those are your chances to get reps. And if you're going to not take it seriously, then, you know, you're wasting time, in my opinion. Yeah, Stace, I don't know if you remember, like, at Logan, I, I probably still say it, but very often back then, like, I remember I would tell my teams, like, don't let the other team outwork us. Mm -hmm. Like, if we're in that fifth set or third set in club or something, it's like the game is close. Like, if we're going to lose, we're not going to lose because they outworked us. Mm -hmm. Like, because that's in our control. Like, mm -hmm. <clears throat> the hustle... The effort, like Conan's talking about, like that's in our control. We can't control how big they are mm -hmm. and the way they hit, and if they run a great combo or something or a great serve. Yeah. But we can control like our our work ethic on the court. And I, I usually I feel like my team, my best teams that were successful, they they were the hardest ones, like grinding on the court, yeah. and that's why we didn't lose. That's why we won. We didn't win because oh, we always have the best players. Like sometimes in a matchup, it's both matched up evenly. Like. Yeah. They're both, we're both good. We both have great hitters or whatever, but it's about who really wants to win this point. Cause I always tell like, especially if you have a good team, a, you know, a talented and well-rounded team, like they're not going to beat us. If you, if you guys actually go hundred mm -hmm. percent, like they're not going to beat us. Like I remember I would tell people like, if you really want to win this point, you really want to win this fit set, then go, go out there and win it then go make it happen. Like mm -hmm. go out there and get it. Don't, don't play the game. Cause you know, I've seen teams like, in my this happened with our old teams too like they play they're playing not to lose mm -hmm. they're not playing to win like yeah. they're playing yeah. defense all the time we're mm -hmm. like <clears throat> they're just trying to <clears throat> like stop the ball mm -hmm. from landing and like passive defense you know, just passive like and then on offense they're being very passive they're not mm -hmm. really trying to get the kill they're just hanging in the game yeah down two points the whole set instead of going out there and just like being yeah. aggressive you know like yeah and <clears throat> i talk a lot about like with my teams, I think it was when I was coaching the 18 boys. One of our themes was because I remember we would, all the boys would like record themselves. They'd like to see their good plays. And I was like, guys, good plays, they don't make themselves. Like they don't just happen. You have to go and try. And I was like, if you're, if you want to get a blocking highlight, you got to go out and try and block them every time. And once we started doing that, then everybody was like, oh, man, I got way more highlights now. I got way more plays that I can clip and show to my friends or, like, look back and watch. And I was like, that's what it's about. Like, you, highlights don't – they never just happen. You know, it's about the work you put in, the practices you put in. Because if you are, like, able to bounce a ball at practice, then I think you'll be able to bounce a ball in a game. But until then, if you're just going to bounce balls during <coughs> hitting lines – you're not going to get that bounce in a in a actual live game because you're not going to feel confident enough to do it. And so, again, that's one job that I think coaches, that's almost their number one job is letting the players feel confident enough to go and make great plays, right? Like we, I talk a lot about hitting because obviously I was a hitter, but I motivate my liberos to go and make those amazing passes, those diving saves chasing after a ball when nobody thinks they can get it those are highlights to me right all the time and i'm trying to motivate every player i talk to like you got to go make it happen like you're not gonna make a highlight happen by you just standing around standing on the court you know you're not gonna get that ace unless you're trying to get an ace if you're not trying then they're just gonna pass it 
you know? No, yeah, I think, uh, remember I was telling one of my teams one time, like, you know those crazy plays? You know, Libero or somebody in the back row, like, saves a ball mm-hmm. crazy? I'm like, if you think about it, that never would have been able to happen if she didn't even try to go yeah. for the ball. Because, mm-hmm. like, sometimes we got players stopping, yeah. not trying, not even chasing the ball. Yeah. I'm like, how are you going to make a great play yeah. if you don't even try to yeah. make a play at all at the ball? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like they think it's oh that girl's just great no she's trying yeah and then maybe you happen to see the highlight but i bet every game before that highlight that save she was trying to save every ball and then the one that she does save that's the highlight you know what i mean like yeah it's effort you know exactly and it's like there it's not like you practice those you Mm -hmm. know you don't practice Mm -hmm. you know running into the stands and passing a ball and so that kind of ring truth i think i was talking to a, a former player from here She's playing at Dominican right now, Kendall, and she was like, I was like, what is, like, one of the favorite plays that you want to do? Like, what's something you want to do? And she was like, I want to, like, chase a ball over the bench and, like, bring it back into the court. And then I told her, I was like, I had a similar play where I dove into the stand somewhere, landed on the student section, brought the ball back, and then I just kind of remember watching the rest of the play there. We got the kill. I was like, all I did was, like, chase this ball and pop it up and then my other outside just hit it and we got the point and I was just sitting there in the student section they were all kind of upset but they were also like cheering me on like wow you mm-hmm. did that mm-hmm. and it's just like again I didn't practice that we don't practice running into bleachers and like passing the ball yeah. all I saw was that ball in the air where it was going and my legs just took me there right and so it's like a lot of volleyball becomes instinct but you just have to what you do at practice, you just got to let your mind go blank in a game and then just let your body do what you've been training it to do. Yeah. That's why, like, you got to work hard in practice so in the game you're not thinking. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? Exactly. Like, if you're thinking about, I need to go to base. Yeah. I need to put, get my arm up. Well, guess what? You're not thinking about the game. Yeah. You're not thinking about the yeah. blocker in front of you. Or yeah. You're not thinking about what kind of service coming. Yeah. My you favorite know? thing with that is, like, thinking about hitting approaches because when you coach girls and stuff, they're very much, but how do I do my steps? How do I do, th- how do I get from point A to point B? And lately I've just been like, you've been doing your hitting approach like your whole life, just do it, mm-hmm. right? You just gotta do it. Like sometimes it's gonna be three steps. Sometimes it might be five steps. Sometimes it might be four. Sometimes it might be one. Like you just have to trust all the training that you've done and then do it. And so like what Matt was saying, when you're thinking about, oh, what steps do I do? You're no longer thinking about the game. You're not in the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. You're thinking about something that's already ingrained in your head, and that's the wrong approach to take when you're playing volleyball. Makes you more nervous. Yes. You're, you're thinking about too many things mm-hmm. now. You know. Yeah, it's so so important. You work on your footwork away, like during practice, away from practice. I have funny stories where when I was learning the hitting approach, um, me and my best friend who played club with me at end line. We would do that We at recess. We would go and we would mm-hmm. do our hitting approach. We would ask the teacher to go to the bathroom and we would go <coughs> and do our hitting approach as we walked yeah. to the bathroom together. But it just became so ingrained in my head where it was, these are the steps you take. And then when I get in the game, I'm not thinking about left, right, left. Like I'm just thinking, there's the ball. Do what I have to do to get the ball. I used Is to it? do my approach uh, in the hallway. Yeah, <laughs> see? And that's like, you know, and I had a teammate. Um, she, he was my uh, uh, age um, or grade uh, Coney, mm-hmm. so he, but he used to be the like a great setter at Mission mm-hmm. um, and he uh, in college uh, after high school 
so we played club together mm-hmm. after high school went to san jose state and then we were like hanging out i think we you know we'd still play some adult stuff or play against the high school admission yeah. sometimes and stuff I remember I was at his house one time and he was showing because he has this big house at on admission right and he was showing me like it's kind of like a weird staircase but there's like a wall like kind of like a walkway but you know what the wall where the staircase would be yeah and he sh- there would be these marks and these lines I'm like dude what is that and he's like oh like he used to measure and mark like this is a three this is a four and a shoe and then he would set. at home he would set to the oh, wall oh, and work on his um the heights because each height is different for each set yeah so he would just do that all day and like i'm telling you this guy's like a really good set yeah six foot you know um and and mission was really good he was like the Mm -hmm. you know four-year varsity player all that and i was like dang like this is why you guys used to beat us all the time (laughs) because outside of your practice you're at home yeah literally working on the different heights to them to the t on like what a three and a shoot in a hut, whatever. Yeah. I was like, dang. I love that story so much yeah. because it just shows like three practices is not enough. I'll mm-hmm. just be honest. Three practices is not enough to be the most elite you can be. You have to be able to be at home like that, mm-hmm. thinking of ways Creative to ways. get better, yeah. right? Because I know, I mean, me playing with my brother for a long time, we always had jumping competitions. Anytime there was a high thing, we are like, who can touch it and who can touch it higher? Mm-hmm. right and so we were always on that we would see a vertical test thing and we'd be like come on i think i can jump higher than yeah, you right like now. you want to do the best right yeah. and we would go at it people would say we would look like some madmen trying to jump as high as we can and touch the highest point of a wall or something you know it was just creating things like that away from practice is what's gonna make you great you know yeah i think and uh I think like uh, how you were mentioning that you would get a lot of reps. Like, I feel like back then there was not that much opportunity to get reps not in a all. sense. Like, we did not have a, a local club. Not at all. Yeah, you for know, boys even club. Even on 80, you know what I mean? Like, we had to go farther. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, boys club. That's why we ended up having to go to San Francisco yeah, dang, because yeah, no other club that. was gonna give us that amount of time where we mm-hmm. could just practice for four hours get reps and yeah no no other play. no other team was providing that to us so that's why when i think about you know future plans and things like that with coaching mm-hmm. i'm going to stay at uc elite until the day i die yeah because yes. because <laughs> of that. that very reason where if there was a uc elite club when i was playing mm-hmm. i would have been here a thousand percent that's exactly and that's exactly what i want all of these east bay kids union city kids all that like you need to realize how great it is that there's a club here i had to go take a bart my senior year of high school just to go to practice like Mm -hmm. this is in your neighborhood you just hop on the freeway and you can be here in like 10 20 minutes like that's why i will never ever leave this place because this is such a great opportunity for all these kids where there's so much talent here in East Bay and we just got to find a way to tap into it and, you know, find them and get them to come here, you know, because this is such a great opportunity that Matt has created for the volleyball community over here, right? Like, like I was telling you guys with my team, when we went to go play Slauncher in San Francisco, it was all MVAL kids. We were all playing Logan, American, Mm -hmm. Moreau, 
we would have loved it if we could have just <laughs> came to came yeah. to Hayward yeah. and yeah. practiced because that's what we were all the starters over there in San Francisco. Yeah. And the coach was the coach for Sacred Heart and she wasn't even playing her team. Yeah. She wasn't wow. playing her players. Wow. Yeah. We were playing. Yeah. And so that's just I want all MVAL kids like if you play in the MVAL league, you should be coming to a UC Elite thing at some point. Come to a trial, come to a camp, come to a clinic, because this is why we've created this club, and this is the opportunity we want to give back to this area. You know, I think it's so great. We're all we're all East Bay kids and mm-hmm. things like, like that. you know. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was talking to somebody, and, and I was saying like, you know, instead of making this club, I could have just went to any other club in here. Same with Coney. Any of us, mm-hmm. any of our coaches, actually, all our top coaches. They can go to any club right now, and we would be hired, and we would probably be one of their, you know, yeah. once coaches or something. Because yeah. even back then when I was younger, I already had a resume with Logan. Like, they yeah. would take me. But, you know, for me, I'm like, our kids can't, I mean, in my opinion, our kids cannot afford $8,000, yeah. $10,000. Yeah. Over like, the bridge, right? Yeah, over the bridge or whatever, you know, at some of these clubs. And kind of like, I, I would tell, I remember I was telling one of these one of our coaches, I was like, this this player, she wants to go to this club, right, and pay this much, but I could be your coach at that club mm-hmm. right now. Like, yeah. what's the real, like, you know what I mean? Like, I was trying to say, we're trying to bring it here. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying our club is cheap or anything, but we, I, I still think we're, like, one of the cheapest that does what we do in, in yeah. terms of travel and the competitiveness and trying to put the girls with exposure, get them exposure. But... You know, with our club, I know, like, I wanted our club to be one that helps, like, boost up our area. Because yeah. especially, like, Conan's era, my, my era, like, we had to go somewhere else yeah. and make somebody else look good and make someone mm-hmm. else's community look good yeah. instead of banding together locally and then we go beat up some teams, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had to go out there and help someone else's area, mm-hmm. you know? And that's kind of why our area kind of slowed down, I think, is because the best players were leaving because mm-hmm. they thought we could not stay here to win. And that was the case sometimes, especially yeah. with Conan. Yes, I think mm-hmm. with Linda, some other people, because we there wasn't a club that was like had those aspirations. You know what I mean? Like, because even now in our area, there's not that many clubs that travel that will yeah. give you the opportunity to get recruited and yeah. expose you. You know what I mean? And we're open to all that. On top of that, like you know, we have coaches like Conan who like mm-hmm. it's not about the money, it's about the passion, and they care about the players, the development. And not just that, but we have like Conan has the background, he has yeah. the history, he has the experience to like actually help you mm-hmm. get there. And you know, I think that's what you know separates our, our club. And you know, Conan, we appreciate having a coach like you yeah. um, because it makes a difference. Honestly, like I think in the long run, it really makes a difference. And we have plans in this club to continue the future like yeah. generation and develop the younger kids and. Yeah, so much. Just keep improving. I'm so bought into that, the culture from day one meeting you on that very late night. Like, I was buying into this culture and everything about it from that moment. And I'm still on it to this day. Like, this is, there's so much talent here. And we just got to help everybody see how talented it is. Something I tell my teams now is I'm like, show them what we do at practice. Like, Mm -hmm. show them. We're so good. Right, we're so so good. You just gotta go show it to everybody now, right? And it's it's been working. We're having a very successful season, in my opinion, for my third teams, and I'm so 
proud and happy for them. And we're, I mean, I want everybody to wish us some luck going into our first qualifier of the season over at P&Q this weekend, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, we're, the goal is set. We're, we're going to get a bid and we're going to work our hardest. Everything that we've been doing up to this point, all the ups and downs of our season, it's building up to are we going to be uh, ready to win at these qualifiers, right? And that's the way national seasons kind of end up. You know, you push the qualifiers as far into the season as you can so you've had the highs, you've had the lows, mm-hmm. and now we're hoping we're at a high. And personally, I feel my team is hitting a really big high right now. And so I want us to really ride that wave. Please send out all the luck and good mm-hmm. wishes to these yeah. girls to yep. give their best effort. And, you know, we can make something happen over here at UC Lead and get our name out there. Because I will still say I get approached by so many coaches, parents, refs, Telling us about UC Lee, where are you yeah, guys where from? Where are you guys from? Yeah. Yeah. I'll say. And I'm like, we're little club in Hayward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we're working hard. We practice in a, you know, our courts are right next to each other, you know, kind yeah. of deal. And we just are out here trying to mold the young talent and go and show everybody showcase what, our, showcase our, what, our girls, our what this East Bay community is all about, you know. And so, really big into buying into that culture here at UC Elite that we're building. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Conan. Thank you for being uh, our second guest on this yes. podcast. Yeah, definitely. And all this insight. I think any of our listeners that have any more questions or, or whatnot, Conan's here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I accessible. said, mm-hmm. I'm here almost every day at the facility, you know, at least Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, every day. But I try to come in and see the other teams because that's what, at the end of the day, like Matt said, I'm not here because I love getting paid to coach i love the sport so much Mm -hmm. and i just want to help give everybody that little bit of passion that my coaches gave me when i was growing up and so just being out here telling people that they're good i'm i'm here almost seven days a week Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's awesome man so yeah thank you again conan being our guest um and yeah thank you to our listeners remember to uh follow our podcast rate us and um subscribe And uh, we'll be back at the the next episode. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.